Welcome back. We are up to chapter 12 of Rabbi Sachs' book, Morality, and this chapter is entitled Safe Space. Rabbi Sachs uh, focuses on the university environment, and he talks about historically what the university is all about. It was a willingness to hear ideas different from those you've heard until now, the courage to take them seriously and not necessarily agree with them, but at least enter the mindset of those who think that way and expose your own ideas to critical scrutiny and not feel threatened, but rather enlarged through that effort. That was in his mind what safe space is all about. Space where there's clear intellectual ground rules, where you spoke civilly, argued rationally, and listened respectfully. And at the end of the day, you came out of that environment knowing you could face the challenges of adult life without being impaired by criticism. Rabbi Sachs argues that that version of the university campus is under threat as there's increasing intolerance. And he goes through a variety of concepts which have become more described in our society and prevalent on campus. One of those is microaggression, which is that a slight, a trivial or inconsequential piece of speech or behavior might cause offense even if there was no intent to. And Rabbi Sachs argues there's no moral coherence to this argument because if you don't intend to offend someone with your speech, how can you be held guilty for disturbing your hypersensitivity that's reading into words something that was neither meant nor would have been understood by most people? Another key concept is safe space, that a place where one will not have to confront views that one might find personally distressing. And there's been uh, descriptions on campus of making actual physical spaces that are protected from potential um, uh, speech that might offend people. Another idea is the idea of, of no, no platforming, which essentially is the banning of certain speakers from university campuses on the grounds that they hold opinions which, which some or some group of students might disagree with. Overall, this, this is creating an environment where the university is not about the pursuit of truth. There is these other ideas coming and in, getting involved, which are preventing a open and honest discussion of ideas. And Rabbi Sachs argues that as long as the university is focused on its primary mission as a moral community, which is the search for truth, then it meets the ideals that Rabbi Sachs first discussed in the opening part of this chapter. But if the university becomes something such as a market um, where intellectual heritage and a community of scholars is really just a, a commodity to be purchased that will result in a degree for a better job or a higher salary, if that, that's the only intent of the university, then students who are paying the price can determine what's being offered and how. And the, the original intent of the, universe, the university is for the students to be educated. So if, if the students themselves are running the university, um, it's hard to break out of a pattern of developing a university that's helping to educate them. Um, as I could speak to a father of a teenage child, um, what they think they need to know and I think they need to know are very different. And there's often a resistance to hearing out what I have to say. Um, if you look at the university in terms of power, uh, the, the power is lying in the hands of those who can mobilize the maximum amount of support in threatening to accuse 
university authorities of riding roughshod over student sensibilities. So indignation becomes a potent political weapon when power prevails over the ethos of learning. So Rabbi Sachs is, is warning us here that th this is not, the university sh can't be a place of power politics. It can't be a market for, uh, strictly for um, occupational training. The intent of a university is the pursuit of knowledge and truth. And when it goes away from that mission, it, it devolves and loses its moral framework. Rabbi Sachs talks about how cognitive behavioral therapy can be an interesting uh, a counterpoint to what we're seeing on campus and, and the new frame of reference of students. In cognitive behavioral therapy, the focus is to minimize versus in campus politics, things the, the, the intent is to maximize. Offenses, rage, insults, everything is maximized. Cognitive behavioral therapy does the opposite. Don't mind read. Don't think you know what others are thinking. Don't catastrophize. Things aren't so bad. Don't label. Everyone is different. Don't dichotomize. Life isn't always either or. And don't overgeneralize. And, and, and if you think about the ideas behind the radicalization on campuses, it's the opposite, where, where people are, you know, individuals are being labeled, you're either on one side or another. Um, there tend to be overgeneralizations and, and loss of nuance. So if you look at a historical precedence toward, uh, of radicalization on campus, let's look at um, the 1930s in Germany. Martin Heidegger, who is one of the most important philosophers of the 20th century, he was enthusiastic in restricting access to university positions for Jewish faculty. And the Jews were excluded because it was believed that Jews and their Judaism was corrupting German culture. Jews offended a German sensibility. Heidegger himself in 1929, even before Hitler rose to power, said the following, either we will replenish our German spiritual life with genuine native forces and educators, or we will once and for all surrender it to the growing Judaization in a broader and narrower sense. And if you look back further in, in German history, back in Frankfurt in eight, until 1811, there was a ghetto in which all the Jews were required to reside. And they were confined to the ghetto every Sunday and all Christian holidays because the sight of a Jew by a Christian in public was considered an offense to their sensibilities. So even the existence in my space of someone not like me is offensive and threatening. So it's not a surprise that as universities have become less focused on ultimate truth and knowledge, that there has been increases in anti-Semitism. One study showed that 72% of students in a college Jewish society had experienced anti-Semitism on, on campus, including racial slurs, anti-Semitic tropes and conspiracy theories, uh, harmful remarks or jokes about the Holocaust. And Rabbi Sachs argues that there's many factors at work in the present assault on academic freedom. Primarily, it's because there's a loss of truth as a value. We talked about this in previous chapters. And if you look at where society's gone, there's no such thing as truth. That's the postmodern 
postmodernism's mantra is only interpretation. There's no such thing as history. There's only narratives. So the university is being recast. It's no longer seen as a community of scholars in pursuit of truth. Instead, it's viewed as a system of power and institutionalism that's restricting certain people from their, their rightful say. Now, Nietzsche warned that when truth dies, all that's left is the will to power. And there's no question there are injustices in society. There's prejudices and there are disadvantaged minorities. And there, Rabbi Sachs argues that their case must be heard and battles to right this must be fought. But that belongs to the domain of politics and not in the domain of academia where the pursuit, the, the, it should be the focus of, of a pursuit of truth and knowledge. So Rabbi Sachs ends with a story from the Talmud, uh, which is a written compilation of Jewish oral law. And it talks about two third century sages, Rabbi Yochanan and Resh Lakesh. Now Resh Lakesh is interesting. He was once a uh, robber, but uh, he was persuaded by Rabbi Yochanan, who was the leading sage in Israel at the time, to devote his life to Talmudic study. Now one day they had a forceful disagreement on a point of legal interpretation. And in his anger, Rabbi Yochanan said something demeaning to Resh Lakesh. Resh Lakesh was really wounded by the insult. He became ill and eventually died. Now Rabbi Yochanan grieved for him so much that the other sages feared for his own sanity and they decided they needed to find another study partner for him and they sent him Rabbi Elazar ben Padat, who is known for his expertise in Jewish law. So here's what the Talmud says. Whatever Rabbi Yochanan said, Rabbi Eliezer said, there's a source that supports you. Rabbi Yochanan said, do you think you are like Reish Lakesh? Whenever I would state something, Reish Lakesh would raise 24 objections, to which I would respond with 24 rebuttals, with the result that we more fully understood the tradition. But all you say is, there is a source that supports you, as if I do not know on my own that my view is correct. So here we're seeing an example of the rabbinic ethic of pursuit of knowledge and argument of differing views is just part of the fellowship of learning. Now there's no doubt that obviously Rabbi Yochanan regretted what had, he had, that he had made a comment in anger with devastating consequences, but despite that he remained insistent on the search for truth and scholarship thrives on this challenge. As the sages say, rivalry between scribes increases wisdom. It's that constant back and forth, the sharpening of each other's knives through debate in a respectful manner that strengthens both parties. Merely assuring that someone else is correct doesn't add anything to the argument, doesn't add anything to, to growth. Understanding comes from the willingness to be challenged. In front of the, the BBC's broadcasting house in London, there's a statue of George Orwell with the quote, if liberty means anything at all, it means the right to tell people what they do not want to hear. And there's a fundamental principle of Roman law, which states that justice requires audi alterum partem, to hear the other side. So no institution that denies the hearing to the other side can be a vehicle for justice, the furtherance of knowledge or the pursuit of truth. So that's what we try to achieve here on The Growing Jew. We want to bring up uh, different sources, discuss them openly. Maybe some perspectives might be controversial, but they're intended not to offend. They're intended only to further discussion and seek truth and knowledge. And you know, hopefully that's the mindset we'll bring in. 
I'm looking forward this week. Uh, we're going to have our first guest interview. So stay tuned for that. And uh, looking in the future to vary up some of the subjects we talk about on the, the podcast. So hope everyone has a great week.